so we're making our way through the Gospel of Luke. Turn over there with me. We're in Luke chapter 12. Before we jump right into the text, <coughs> I want to share something that comes across my mind, not in my most glorious of moments, but probably in my darker moments of doubt. And it is the, the thought of, all right, like, it's been 2,000 years, right, Jesus? Like, 2,000 years, like, how long, really, how long is it going to be until you return. Sometimes I read Bible passages and it seems like it's going to happen any minute, but apparently it didn't happen. And in the midst of all of that, I can start to wrestle with real doubt in my heart. And it's, again, not you know my, my beautiful, wonderful moments of walking hand in hand with Christ and singing His praises, it, but I, I've got to be real about my doubts and really be able to wrestle with them, share them, and then of course study them out as well. Otherwise, those doubts are going to take me over if I allow them to stay in the darkness where Satan can have leverage on me and begin to accuse me and even begin to accuse the scriptures because I'm not hitting them head on. And it, it, is, um, it is tempting when you think, well, maybe he's not coming for a while and maybe he's not coming for a really long time. Maybe he's not coming for thousands of years. And in the process of that, I think, well, if that's the case, well, then will it be so bad if I spend like the next two, three years doing something not so great? And then I'll get my act together. And turn, after all, it'll be way before he comes back anyway. I don't know if you ever had like that ugly a, a thought in life. Maybe it's not two, three years, but maybe it's, well, maybe I'm going to spend these next season of my life, these next days, moments, or, or even weeks, years of my life. Not necessarily on edge for Jesus. But you wait and see. I'll get it together and it'll all be better in the end. And it's kind of what, what I think of as the, the garage door opener theology of, uh, of Jesus that, that we can have. We've lived in two homes in the last 15 years. One of them, we had a garage and a garage door opener. One of them, we didn't. And it's amazing, in the home with the garage door opener, and we come in through that garage door opener, how when we come home, the kids are always doing something really angelic as we come in the house. Because they have plenty of time to hear, and then the squeaking, and the garage door. And for some reason, sometimes they're a little bit out of breath, but boy, they're right where they ought to be, doing really terrific things as we arrive. But before this, we, we lived in a house without a garage and without a garage door opener. That would just be weird. And, and when we would come up to the house, we would just, you know, oftentimes just park on the street, a little bit silent, walk up the walk. We never locked our doors, so there's no jangling of keys. And it's just, we're home. And they're like, oh, the jig is up. <laughs> you know, and on, on one of those occasions at our, at our old house in Virginia Beach, we asked three of, I think, the most stalwart, faithful campus brothers to be able to keep an eye on our kids one night as, as we went out to, to go see a movie. And 
boy, that was a, a terrific night that Deb and I had. And you'll be able to encourage one another and come home knowing, you know what, and even thanking God that we have people in our lives, so many friends indeed, that we have, that we can entrust our kids over to. Hallelujah for the kingdom of God. That's right, baby. Let's go. And, and we walk into the house, and as we open the door, and, you know, little Caleb and Lindsay are being watched by these three brothers. Now, they're not, like, super young. They're, they're in their 20s, mid-20s. Um, and and as, we, as we open the door to our home there at 2129 Harbor Lane, and open the door, there we have one of those classic, the jig is up scenes. And, and the, the image is seared into my mind for all of eternity. And for any time that it's necessary to bring this out as a biblical illustration and a, and a serpent, praise God. And, and, and I remember opening the door, and as soon as you open the door in this home, you can, it was a small home, you see right through to the back end of the house. We didn't have to see all the way to the back end of the house, we just had to see one room in, because that's where the main, kind of the kitchen was, and the garbage can. And there there was, huddled over the garbage can, three amazing young campus brothers, zealous for the Lord, huddled over the garbage can, trying to figure out how to twist off a Killian's red bottle cap off of a beer bottle that was not a twist off. And, and there they were, you know, trying to figure it out and going, and going over it. And we're like, we're home. And they're like, don't. Now, it's, it's not as though they were having a party. They were just simply knowing that the, the night had ended, the kids were in bed, and they were going to have a beer. So they said, that's what I would say if I got caught in that scene too, right? <laughs> but they did not have opportunity to hear the garage door opening. Because if they did, I think somehow or another, that scene would have rearranged itself a bit as we walked into the home with them kind of, you know, coming, coming from the bedrooms, talking about how wonderful it was to have prayers with our kids as they put them to bed. But it went a slightly different way. Now, here's what encourages me about Jesus, is that he knows these tendencies in our character. And that we have this thought that, all right, somehow or another, I'm going to hear the garage door before Jesus comes, and then all of a sudden, I'm going to snap to it. But, but Jesus not only knows that we wrestle with the idea of being slack until the last moment. I mean, who, who hasn't known procrastination in their character? But on top of that, he also knows that probably at different points in time, based on his own promises of his return, that we would likewise wrestle with when is this return. Well, while we can have a certainty that it's coming, the uncertainty of when it comes can start to erode at the certainty that he is coming. And so I love that Jesus now gives us this teaching that he gives us in Luke 12 to, in a sense, say, I get it. I get it and I get you. I'm going to be coming much later. And to me, a thousand years like a day, day like a thousand years, you know, time, shmime, I, I think of it differently. But nonetheless, I'm going to empathize with you and let me give you a bit of a heads up about what is coming your way. And so my, my sermon title this morning is, Ready or not, here he comes. Starting in verse 35. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master, so that when he comes and knocks, 
they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. He's talking about the, the uh, watches of the night, about when he comes. He says, even if he comes at the second or third watch. In, in Rome, they had four watches for the night, and it was separated three hours apiece from 6, a, from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., but for Jews, they had three watches instead of four, so it was separated by four-hour increments. If, you're use, if, if Luke is using the Roman timing, he's saying, hey, sometime around midnight or even towards daybreak. If he's using the Jewish watches of the night, then he's saying, hey, sometime around 2 a.m. or daybreak. In other words, not at a time that you would imagine somebody would be coming back home to the house. Truly I tell you, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. That's a sweet image. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or tears daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? And the Lord answered, Who then is that faithful and wise manager, whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so, that is, doing right, giving, taking care of the other servants, when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But, suppose this servant says to himself, my master is a long time in coming, and then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. And by the way, it's, it's never a, a great idea to have said about you, and he began to say to himself. That usually doesn't lead to really terrific conclusions. The master of that servant, verse 46, will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and doesn't get ready and doesn't do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who doesn't know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given, much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. First, he's coming. Again, ready or not, he is coming. And... The one servant who is identified here, rather than trying to work out any doubts that we might have about the certainty of our great Jesus, all promises are yes in him, that he is really coming back. The one servant who disregards that and just begins to mull it around to himself, says in his own heart, literally, is, is what's going on there in verse uh, 45. But suppose the servant says to himself, 
hey, my master's taking a long time coming back. You know what? I'm going to live it on up. But Jesus is coming. For sure. And this idea of His coming is the idea of what's called in the Greek language, and sometimes it's a loan word into English, the parousia. P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A. The parousia. That's the, the Greek word, parousia. And what that means is the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. His second coming. And He comes this time for judgment. He comes this time not for sacrifice. He comes this time with a sword. And He's going to grab His own. And He's going to bring consequences to those who have been uh, disregarding of Him. And Jesus is coming. But it's going to come not at a time that we anticipate. Revelation 16 says, Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as to not go naked and be shamefully exposed. The other big passage that talks about the coming of Jesus again is in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And there in the midst of this teaching on His second coming, Paul tells us, You know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace, safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You know, there are certain things that we are certain of. Certain things that are going to happen, but we don't know when they're going to happen. We know where there's, there's Caitlin. We know that Caitlin, without a doubt, is going to have a baby. And if I said that and I wasn't sure, wow, that would be the worst thing I could possibly say right now. She really is pregnant, right? My, okay, praise God. Amen. <laughs> but we know, we know she's going to have a baby, but we don't necessarily know when that is going to be. Does that rob her of the joy of this baby? No, I think it just keeps her in, um, in, in wonderful, engaged amazement that this momentous event is going to happen to her in her life and it could come at the most awkward time ever possible. How cool would it be that before the very end of this sermon... And, but Jesus is coming. This is meant to be for those who have been redeemed by Him. Your great expectation. It is why, and I've taught on this before, it's why church architecture historically has always been arranged in such a way that all church buildings are oriented. That is, when you walk in and sit and face, you, you face east. Uh, so that you would be oriented in, in the right direction. Uh, up in uh, Jamestown, when they were trying to uh, prepare the historic site to make it more accurate for the 400th year anniversary, they tore down the old chapel that was inside the uh, historic fort, and then they rebuilt it. We were there in the midst of them rebuilding it, and I remember asking them, why, why is it that you're rebuilding it? And I was so encouraged to hear, because I'd just been studying this, that they realized that at that point in time, Every single church was built along an east-west axis so that you would enter in 
And B, oriented. Why oriented? Well, because of, of, of Matthew 24, 47. Just as lightning appears in the east, is visible even in the west, so will be the parousia, the coming, the glory of the Son of Man, of Jesus Christ. Meaning that we together are all meant to be oriented, even in our coming together, so that we reinforce one to another that we live in hopeful anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness, to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is right. These then are the things you should teach. That's Titus uh, being taught that by Paul, as a matter of fact, in Titus 2. And, and so the coming of Jesus is meant to energize us at all times. The uncertainty of it is not meant to, to be able to raise doubts, but it is only meant to keep us on a vigilant edge of excitement, knowing that it could be five minutes from now, that as we saw in the song, the sky will be rolled up as a scroll, the trump will resound, and the Lord shall descend, and it is well, here's praying, with my soul, because we're dressed, we're ready, we're excited, and we cannot wait. Come, O Lord Jesus Christ, ought to always be our heart cry, as we make our way through this world, through this fallen world, having been redeemed by the very Holy Spirit of God that enervates us, energizes us in our walk to be able to make Jesus known to as many as possible, to have them join on in, to be oriented as well in a life that is directed towards Jesus and excited for His coming. And Jesus says, when, when this, is, this is the way that, that, um, that you live, well then, you will be those servants that are really in the right direction, knowing that this coming is for sure happening. But, of course, as Peter, who, who asks here, tells us later on, hey, but you know, some are going to say, hey, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of all creation. And Peter, though, who obviously is in the middle of this story, learned a very valuable lesson as he learned to wait with hopeful anticipation for the return of Jesus. Because he writes, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They're going to say, hey, where is this coming, he promised. As we can read here, ever since their ancestors died, everything goes on since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by those waters also, the, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But don't forget this one thing, dear friends, Peter tells us. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. Why? Because God is outside of our constraints of the fourth dimension of time. God is omnipotent, able to, to, to walk around, see around, live around, exist around the constraints of time. And so, instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. So why His delay in coming? Because He's patient, not wanting anyone to perish, Everyone, as you sit here right now, he wants you to have a chance, every chance, not wanting anyone to perish, 
but instead for everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief. There it is again. The heavens will disappear like a roar. The elements will be destroyed by the fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. And when that sky opens up like a scroll and Jesus descends with the trumpets with all of the billions upon billions of angels that come with him ready to gather up, ready to harvest, in that moment, everything's going to be laid bare in our lives. And in that moment, we either then ascend into eternal bliss or face the destruction of having scoffed, of having um, rejected what it is that God has in store for us. But know for certain, know for certain wherever you are on the spectrum of with Christ or not with Christ, clothed in Christ, not yet, whatever it is, He is coming. And so, wake up. Yeah, people, if you, if you Google caught sleeping on the job, it is amazing the images that, that come. But Jesus cautions very clearly that despite the clarity of what I've done for you already, the miracles that I perform to establish who I am, and the promises that I am coming, if in the midst of all of that, you still are like, ah, so what? If, if you can sleep through that, if you can scoff and slack and stall through the momentous concept of all of eternity being leveraged for your decision making, well then, all that will be left is to be assigned with a place with the unbelievers. And, and it is the worker who thinks, ah, he's not coming. Let me kick it. Let me hold back. But how do we, how do, we do that? Well, we do it by scoffing. Well, we just kind of laugh at the whole idea of morality and Jesus and the Word of God. Poke fun at some supposed controversy or uh, some, some sort of inconsistency, uh, conflict in the Scriptures. By the way, that, that is, is not even, um, not even a, a, uh, a situation that you could hang on. As a matter of fact, if there is a, an inconsistency that you want to bring to bear, come talk to me about it. Let's, let's just clear up all those smoke screens because bottom line, what we normally are trying to resist is the beauty of the moral life that Jesus wants us to live. And that does require repentance. And it is why He is giving you another moment and another moment and another moment because He is waiting for you to be able to come to repentance. But if we don't scoff, then the other way we might do is slack. How do we slack? Well, you know what? I, I, I think... You know what? If, if I could just reline my kitchen shelves with a better paper first and then look at the Bible, then I think I'll have more peace in my soul to really be able to study out the Word of God. You pick your excuse. But it doesn't matter what it is. Getting a degree, getting married, burying your father, as Jesus gives us earlier in the, passage, in, in the Scriptures, it doesn't matter. Any of those things that cause us to slack in the sight and in the very direct call of Jesus is not going to be able to hold up when we really look at, oh, yeah, you know what, you're right. You're here now. And probably I could have waited on that uh, 3M lining to my shelves. Yeah, yeah, I, I get it now. I see it all now. He, in His grace, is trying to show you ahead of time that this is coming. Yeah. 
So might as well arrange our lives in the right way so that when he does come, it's only joy there rather than, whoop, the jig is up. And, but, but stalling is, is one that we're really good at, unfortunately. And you think, you know, I'm going to be on this. I really am. But I, I, just, I just need some time to process some hurts that I have in my life. I just need some time to really get up the gumption to really confess the things that are deep in my heart because I'm so fearful of what it's going to be. Of course, we're always fearful. The thing that overcomes fear, though, is faith. And if we don't choose faith, then we don't believe. We choose fear rather than faith. And so it doesn't matter how good and, and how much you feel like a victim in any of these things where, where it's fearful, if it is keeping you from repenting before the Lord, from aligning yourselves with the Lord, it's not going to hold water. And you're still going to have to appear before Jesus and His return. And so finally, don't just wake up, but Jesus begins this passage by saying in verse 35, be dressed and ready for service. If you have a, an older translation, basically what he is saying is, gird up your loins. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a, in a minute. Let me, let me just, uh, this is actually from the website, The Art of Manliness. And, and it is a, a detailed description of how you too, if you happen to be wearing a long flowing cloak, could gird up your loins to be ready to fight or to be ready to work hard. And so he gives you, you know, this tunic wouldn't allow you to do heavy labor or fight in battle. Thus, it necessitates the girding of one's loins. First, hoist the tunic up so that the fabric is above your knees. This will give you mobility. Then gather the extra material in front of you so that it is snug across your back. And then, once the excess fabric is there, pull it behind you, pull it around, much like a diaper, gather the two halves of material in each hand, and then tie it together. And finally, as you tie it together, you're all set for battle and some hard labor. Go forth, ye men, and gird up your loins. So God says to, to um, Job in, uh, at the end of, of Job. Uh, this, this would also be the very famous mindset of all Jews in this audience, because they would have known in Exodus chapter 12, when God says to the Israelites, this is how you are to eat this Passover meal. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, eat it in haste, it is the Lord's Passover. Or literally, this is how you are to eat the meal, to use the same uh, literal language, with your cloak girded. Sandals on your feet, staff in your hand, ready to go, it is the Lord's Passover. And so we are to gird on up the loins of our mind and to be dressed, be ready for service uh, as, we, as we head down this, this life of being able to serve God. And Peter, likewise, uh, says here, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at Jesus Christ's revealing at His second coming. Can you see it? This is exactly what Jesus was saying here as well. Is have your mind on point, vigilant, ready to go, because He's coming back, 
And if we live our lives with that kind of hopeful expectation, it changes the way we process everything. Completely so. And, and as a matter of fact, as we, even as we, we think through, through, through all of this, let me get back to that one a minute. Even as we think through all of this, we've got to make sure that we're thinking through what is it that I'm allowing to grow slack rather than vigilant in my walk with Jesus. No, he's coming back. He is. He's coming back. I'm living my life for that moment. I don't live for the here and now. If I do, I'm to be pitied more than all men. But rather, I live for the new heaven and the new earth to be revealed at Jesus' coming. I live for the coming of my King. Bring it on, Maranatha, come, O Jesus, needs to be our attitude. But what is it right now? Do you need to get right with Jesus? Are you studying the Bible? If you are, and there is in any way stalling or slacking, whoa, let this passage and the magnitude of it really be the, the, the clarion call from Jesus, time to stop slacking. By the way, Jesus shares this passage with you, not because He's against you, waiting for the lightning bolt. He shares it because He loves you. He's got you. He wants you. He wants you to be able to experience the amazing eternal bliss that is going to be yours at His return. It's going to be a feast that He talks about where He's going to actually gird Himself, is, is what the passage says. He'll gird Himself and He'll say to you, Hey, you know what? You, but Bill, you sit down, you relax. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of you. I want to serve you. I want you to know how much I love you. Welcome into your master's reward. And if maybe sitting at a nice table and a nice banquet isn't your thing, I don't know, think of whatever like really like just moves you because that's what's coming your way. It's going to be unspeakable delights that is coming our way. Paul, who went into the third heaven, said, I saw inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to say. But I will say this, it is surpassingly great. I'll give you that much. I don't know what that is, but it has come. You know what? Maybe think of, think of eating a coffee, toffee, crunch ice cream cone as you're dunking a basketball on a court on the, with, with no time remaining on a court on the roof of a luxury cruise ship that is steaming into port into St. Thomas amidst the crystal emerald blue waters while dolphins are breaching under a crimson sky. And as you get off the court, Jesus hands you a towel and your incredibly sweet warm-up suit, which has breakaway snaps, and says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Because that's what's coming your way. And all of its glory. And he's for you. Why are you slacking? Why are you slacking? What is worth the delay right now? This is ridiculous. Ridiculous. That in any way we would put off. And not give our whole heart with everything that we have. To get it together. To fully understand what it means to repent. Realign our lives. Surrender. Surrender it all. I, I don't, I'm afraid to confess. What in the world? Oh my goodness, why are you letting Satan and his accusations hold you back? Oh, I'm afraid, I'm afraid to really give myself over completely. You know what? Those hurts that were yours in earlier life, they don't need to enslave you anymore. What Jesus has in store for you is that sweet, that amazing, and it all awaits you. Man, oh man, put your face through that picture that, that we painted with the ice cream cone and the basketball. 
You know, your face here. Stick it right through, right? I mean, there, there it is. There's Terrell's face, right? Duncan eating, loving life, waiting for Jesus, coming through. Your face there. What is worth keeping you from that? Uh, I don't know what they're going to think of me in school. Uh, I'm not sure about my family. Uh, oh my goodness. All of that stuff is going to pale in comparison. And imagine, because Jesus is giving you the chance to imagine, imagine coming to the end of days with all of that. And, and, and you know, teens, let me just have a word for you here. You may think, well, at least I'm not like the rest of the kids in my school, because they're a real mess. I mean, you talk about uh, scoffing and slacking. I mean, not only are they slacking, they're sagging and slacking and scoffing at the same time. And they're partying and they're a mess. Well, you know what? They don't know. They don't know. And, and yes, they will be beaten with blows, but you do know. You do know. And if you do know and you've not repented, well, then what Jesus says here, it's scarier for you wow. than for everybody else at your school. And as a matter of fact, time for you to get it together and let everybody else in your school have a chance and not having any blows, but instead of having Jesus waiting with the towel and the sweet snap-away warm-up, ready to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That, that's, that's what we need to be sobered by. For all of us here, we've got the Word of God. We know the will of God. We know the will of God rather clearly. And, and to know it and to in any way disregard it, actually here Jesus says, that's the scary thing. As a matter of fact, in, in, in light of that, just listen to this idea. If you know His will, approve of what is superior because you're instructed by the law, if you're convinced that you're a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of the knowledge of truth, you then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people shouldn't commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? It's because of this that God's name is blasphemed among the unbelievers. That's why most people actually have a hard time with Christianity. is because they see people who know and they look hypocritical. And, and for us, we know. And for us, we know that we need to gird. We need to gird our minds. We need to get ready. We need to keep Jesus clearly in sight. We need to love that Jesus loves us this much to give us the heads up, to let us know that, you know what? I got you. I got you. I want you to know this right now because I want you to have all the beauty and the blessing that's coming your way. And, and, and for you right now, I got a, a simple practical application for, for any and every one of us as we head out today. Gird your mind for Jesus. And what I mean is, Think it through. Jesus is coming. I want to be prepared for that. I want to have hopeful anticipation of the glorious appearing. Before the first conversation that I have each day, I'm going to actively, deliberately, intentionally gird my mind for Jesus. Now imagine that being the mindset of every one of us. We, in a sense, orient ourselves, coming together in the church of Christ, in the body of Christ, in the, the, the very church building uh, figuratively speaking, where we are now all in alignment, waiting for the glorious return of Jesus Christ and living our lives with that kind of vigilance, that kind of active excitement. My goodness, how difference do we make as we are all girded as we head out in service of Jesus Christ? Amen. Amen.
Amen. If we can all stand, we'll sing song 113. Majestic is your name.